On this weekend edition of Brian the 3x3, Patrick Fesher and myself, Russ Heltman, break down the ins and outs of the NBA restart, some dates, some NBA draft can't miss prospects. We've got all that covered in lane one. Rolling into lane number two, we get you set up for this weekend in college football. Clemson, Notre Dame, massive top five matchup. Big chance for the Fighting Irish to prove themselves uh, as members of the big boys in the college football world. And then lane number three, we chop up NFL Week 9, preview the top three most intriguing games in Baltimore, Indianapolis, Buffalo, Seattle, and then Tampa Bay, New Orleans. Closing things out with a little sucker bet action and much more on this weekend edition of Round of 3x3. Subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. Help continue the Round of 3x3 movement. Let's get in the lane number one. Launching into lane number one on this week's Ride in the 3 by 3 I'm your host, Russ Heltman, joined by my co-host, Patrick Fetch. We have a beautiful, beautiful rundown for the people in Ride in the 3 by 3 Nation this Thursday. Getting you ready for a fun sports weekend, week nine in the NFL. We got college football, every single team. I think, yeah, just about every single team in uh, the football bowl subdivision back in action or every single conference that is obviously still some games uh, up in the air with cancellations and then obvious uh, normal bye weeks and the such. And then the NBA getting, getting the off season, the sprint that will be the 2020 off season underway here in the next few days, players hopefully finalizing what will be a uh, concrete agreement for the 2021. Yeah. Just the 2021 season. They're going to play an all out sprint starting in December and then going through 2021. So I guess it is a little bit of 2022, about eight days of 2022 mixed in there. We'll chop all that up. But first, I want to welcome in Patrick Fetch. Pat, it's uh, it's weirdly hot here in Ohio. Is it like It's like 70 degrees where I'm at right now. I might have to play some golf this weekend, really, really bust out and enjoy this weather. I was about to say, I'm not complaining whatsoever. I do get up early, though, Russ. So I've been getting up. It's been kind of like frosty about... 40 degrees. I don't need any mm-hmm. more of that. It's it's brutal. I'm not I'm looking with you. forward to the frost on the windshield, Pat. That's the worst. The worst <laughs> I'm part. I'm trying to it's the worst and I don't have heated seats, man. It's brutal, but I'm trying to get one more one more back patio drink in weekend and I think I'll be able to do that certainly this week and I'm looking forward to that. 1000%. That's that has to be on the docket. And what is on the docket for the NBA as we cruise in the lane number 1? is getting this season and this offseason rolling. The GMs are anxious. The owners are ready to get the coffers refilled with cash flow as they lost a hefty amount. Pat and I went over that on last Thursday's episode. If you want to hear us break down the ins and outs of all the financial losses for the NBA uh, due to the COVID pandemic. But now they are looking like an agreement is going to be passed this Thursday evening. Um, no major qualms have been raised by the players. They are expected to... Uh, fully passed this agreement to play a reduced 72-game schedule. Um, they're going to take a formal vote from each representative late tonight, and it's going to be a pre-Christmas start right around December 22nd, and the league will hold player salary and escrow in the range of 18% for the next two years, sources told ESPN. So you know, Pat, when I was running through those financials last week with like kind of what Steph Curry would run into and how much money he would lose if they had to take the full 40% escrow hit. Well, now that's been shopped in half and a little bit below half, obviously, with the 18%. So that's something the players were ultimately uh, allowed them to, what ultimately allowed them to come to an agreement. 
was getting that escrow flared out and, and uh, flattened out over a couple of years as opposed to taking that full hit in one season. So seems like the financials are in order. And with that, uh, gets the offseason underway here. And probably the next week they're going to open up free agency and uh, or give us a st- date for free agency. And then the draft, obviously, uh, two weeks from, I think, two weeks or a week from Wednesday, next Wednesday. Yeah. All of that was way over my head, Russ, as far as the numbers go. But um, I am excited for them to be able to get back to it. The only the only way for them to recoup all of this cash is to keep the fans interested, to keep the you know to keep the ball rolling. Uh, no pun intended. So that's exactly what they're hoping to do. They're hoping to have big free agency. They're hoping owners will buck up, eat some of these losses, and still uh, try to perform. And I, I've been very impressed with the NBA owners, and so I'm not necessarily concerned on them trying to hamstring players or, or play any games this offseason, uh, such as what MLB owners have, have been known to do over their past couple offseasons. So I'm excited. Um, you want to give us some, like, I'm very interested. What do you think the big, you think we're going to get a Giannis move this offseason or just no way with the situation? I can't or maybe even more likely. With everything up in the air that they'd move him right now. We'll, we'll find out, though, because once that league year starts, Pat, they're going to push that offer right across the table. 200 plus million dollars. Giannis, you, you marrying us, buddy? You, you marrying Milwaukee? 220 to 250 million dollars, a quarter of a billion dollars to play basketball in the Midwest? That's pretty, that's pretty tough to turn down, Pat. I don't know, man. Honestly, if I'm Giannis, I'm, I'm locking in that deal. And then if the team ends up stinking after next year, I'm saying, all right, trade me or I'm not showing up. I know it's kind of a lame he way has- to handle it, but. Yeah, that's what you get. That's, yeah. that's the powers you're afforded when you're a superstar like Giannis. Exactly. I mean, that's the leverage he has gained for himself. And if anything, you have to be able to respect the position he's put himself in. And is that necessarily the worst way to handle it? He's still giving Milwaukee a chance. You know, I'll sign the paper, I'll sign the money, I'll let you pay me all of this money, but you have to meet me on your end. But And, and if you don't, I'm just going to sit out, make you send me somewhere nice like Miami Beach. The crazy thing is, Pat, is. Say the Bucks start like forty and ten or something crazy like that, forty-two and eight, and they get Chris Paul. They swing a deal for him. They have a loaded roster, but Giannis doesn't or didn't sign that deal before they start really cooking. He can't sign anything during the season because it's a super max contract. That specific deal doesn't allow the superstar to make the make the signing during the season. I believe it's because they want it to kind of be a moot point. Once you get the season tipped off, they don't want reporters and that being a huge question throughout the year. Like, oh, are you going to sign it now? Are you going to sign it now? Which I get, but it's it just puts a lot of time crunch on the next, what, 30, 45 days? The season starting December 22nd? He has to make a decision by then. That's a short window, and you're right. I can't imagine they get a deal done, but the way that you just made me think about it, it would probably work out for both camps if they did get something done. I would love to see Giannis move on from the Bucks just because strictly no, I don't trust come them on, to make Pat. Come on. <laughs> I just I just don't trust them to be able to make the moves to build around him. And I just don't see anybody willingly going to Milwaukee uh unless they really, really want to win. Who knows? Chris Paul, I could see it from him. That would be fun. The only place I would want Giannis to go would be Dallas to pair up with Luca. 
That's the only destination I would be morally all right with Giannis going to. But if he goes to like the Clippers or something crazy or the Warriors or something stupid, just goes out to another coast and we get more, uh, more, get the fat cats getting fatter. That just doesn't do a lot for me. I already, you already kind of know each year going to the NBA season, what's going to play out 2020, 2019, 2020 being a big anomaly. First time in almost a decade, we haven't kind of known it's going to be either um, the Warriors or LeBron team. And what do you know? It ended up being a LeBron team in the end. So um, <laughs> it's that to me would not be very interesting if you went out somewhere besides Dallas, but matching up with the, the two European superstars, that would be very intriguing. Another thing to keep an eye on is Bradley Beal, Victor Oladipo, and Drew Holiday. Another quick topic we can get into before we touch on the NBA draft. Those guys could be on the move. I think in or in the order of likelihood that each guy gets moved would probably put Holiday highest, Oladipo second, right behind Holiday, and then I probably put Bradley Beal, uh, dumb, not not smart on the Wizards' part, but far behind those two in terms of likelihood to get moved this offseason. But if I if I were picking likelihoods if, in terms of being a GM of those teams, I'd want to get Bradley Beal moved as quickly as possible, peak of his powers. You're not going anywhere right now if you're the Washington Wizards. I'd trade him for draft picks, load up, and get ready for a 2021 uh, class that is supposed to be jam-packed with talent. It's going to reload the coffers after a little bit of a down year for the 2020 NBA draft. So something right there to keep an eye on that, that shooting guard, uh, shooting guard threesome going, uh, going maybe to the trading block across the NBA. Yeah. I was shocked to say that you said the Wizards were last and that's just poor management, Bradley Beal. And they need to get as much assets, as much return from him as possible. And it's kind of a but weird wait, free agent. You got to pair him with John Wall, right? Oh wait, we just seen, we've seen that play out. For like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, you're right. And then the two guard system really just hasn't hasn't been a winner in the NBA recently outside of Stephen Clay, who had to light the NBA on fire and change the game. Even they were unsuccessful the next year. And we, we haven't been able to see Dame and CJ really get over the top. And you know, it took KD and that elite wing to really make the Warriors what they were at the time. So unless you're Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, I'm not sure I'm a buyer of the whole two guard two guard move either. So um, and outside of that, I think you're exactly right. I think these players have to move. You look at the free agency class, and it's just not very impressive. You're either gonna you're either gonna give up too much for a Bradley Beal or a Victor Oladipo, or you're just gonna pay way too much for a Fred Van Vliet. And I'm not sure which one is is a better decision if you're a team desperate for a move. The question is, what are the Heat players here, Pat? Because if they are then I could see them maybe trying to go get a Drew Holiday or a Victor Oladipo to, to bolster that that guard depth. But they probably have to have they would have to trade Tyler Hero in that instance. So I, I don't see that really being a factor. And then the other teams looking out for uh, Holiday and and maybe Beal if he ends up being on the block would be Denver, Golden State, and Brooklyn teams that are really looking to load up, find that final piece. But Denver I think is ready to let that young core blossom a little bit more golden state probably could push those chips all in especially if it's for a player of the caliber of beal and then brooklyn i don't know i'd rather just if i'm brooklyn i'm letting those two superstars flow off each other right now this season see how that looks before i'm adding another third big personality to that locker room 
I could totally see the Warriors and Nets making that move just because they have the veteran, the talent, the star power, you know, that they, they have a standing and a hierarchy already on those teams. I'd be very surprised to see the Nuggets make a move. But I think that's a, a very interesting philosophical question if you're running a franchise. Do you want to try to get vets in there early? Or do you want to try to let this young core grow and blossom as much as they can early in the season and try to make that deadline move when you're kind of making a risk then of adding and messing with chemistry? What would do you think the Nuggets would be, you know, smarter to to play to the deadline? Or would are you under the in, you know, because they're gonna lose Millsap. So do you want to replace that vet, use some of that cash? and try to get one of these guys to help bolster that depth a little bit. I like that idea of waiting until the deadline just to see what you have. Probably just you're really going to increase Michael Porter Jr.'s minutes a, a, a lot this year and see what you have completely in him with extended minutes playing in a more conducive superstar type of scoring forward role. And then if you have a big three that way with him, Jamal Murray, and Nikola Jokic, then boom, you're set, ready to roll, and you have two set, defined years where you can contend for NBA championships, especially if Porter reaches the potential he could have. Once upon a time ago, he was the, the clear-cut number one prospect in the NBA draft, was going to be selected number one, but lost uh, his entire freshman season at Missouri due to back injuries. So I like the idea of waiting, waiting, standing pat, and then if they do get Drew Holiday or if they bring in a Bradley Beal, they get any of these guards to come in and, and quote-unquote push them over the top, they wouldn't be able to sign all three of Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, and Mason Plumley. You'd, you'd obviously let Mason Plumley go in that instance, but still, it'd be tough to sign, sign Grant and Millsap. So it, it would probably be a cap casualty for Millsap and, and does the addition of holiday cancel out the losing a Millsap who yes is over the hill a little bit but gave them contributing strong minutes in the bubble and won them some key playoff games in those uh those 3-1 comebacks that they had to have and they had to have a veteran presence in those big moments something that Millsap gave them he did I I think I would let Millsap go if I'm the Nuggets just because I agree I think he's over the hill and I don't know if he has those games in him but he was super impressed in the bubble in some of those games but especially if it's more than one year I'm not trying to pay him for right. multiple years just with him de declining like he's been uh so quickly over the past few closing out lane number one we have the draft on November 18th less than two weeks away 13 days from uh, the time of this recording so, Pat, we're going to do another draft topic a little bit more in-depth next week. So uh, so I'll, I'll make sure to give you that throughout the week, and we can make sure to have our, uh, our research on pinpoint accuracy. But a little taste of the draft coverage for you here at Riding 3x3. Who is your can't-miss guy? Not necessarily – I kind of made it like that. Not not the, your number one prospect, but just your guy that is going to be a hit. He's got a solid floor, can be a solid contributor in the NBA. I got a couple. And so this was interesting that you just said earlier in this pod that you thought this was a very, very good, very talented draft. And maybe next I'm year. just next out year's of the draft. Next, next year. year. Okay. Yeah. This Not year this I said, year, I said to make up for this year's draft. Yeah. Okay. Got you. Got you. Now we're on the same page because I'm not in love with this draft and mm -hmm. I had to stay at the top. I am in love with a couple of names. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the underdog of it and I'm going to go OB Toppin. I think that he's a can't miss in the sense that I love consistency and I love that you're, you know what you're getting in a draft. I think, um, I think he's going to fall somewhere around right the Cavs draft. And I think he's a, 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 
a prototypical Cavaliers pick and not in a great way because I do see some sort of like Colin Sexton type vibes from him to where maybe he's already peaked. Maybe that college, that college uh, sort of jump was because of the level of play was surrounding him. He was able to be that number one guy, that alpha. But I don't see it in him because I was really impressed with the way he plays off the ball, the way he plays defense, his whole engine and the maturity he seems to play with, I'm really impressed with. On top of that, he is just the perfect positionless guy for the new NBA. If they can get his feet moving and allow him to play some better defense, he'll be able to guard you know, three, four positions at once. He'll be able to run the pick and roll flawlessly. And I think he's a guy who's just a plug-and-play guy. If you can surround him about around decent talent, guys who know how to play ball well, I think you know exactly what you're getting in Obi Topin. And I think somewhere around, you know, Draymond Green is an impossible person, I think, to to compare in a, a draft prospect to just because of the, you know, the intangibles that he has. The draft, the draft comparisons Obi- are always hard. They are very difficult to yeah. figure out that. But you, know, you don't do, want to compare I, a guy to like a middle of the road player because you want to be like, all right, right. maybe he could have some super potential. But then when you're like when you get to that potential, you're like, all right. Is he really going to reach this? Just, it's just no in between. Sure, but the size, the the size, the ball handling ability, and the positionless basketball he plays, I think he would be a perfect role player around some of the elite guards in this, you know, in in the league right now, and, and even match him against another big man who doesn't play the floor as well. And I think he could be a great a Robin to to a Batman as well. Ob Toppin, I like it. Ain't no stopping Ob Toppin. Ranked uh, ranked in the top twelve pretty firmly on most big boards when you when you look around doing your your draft research. Dayton redshirt sophomore was basically the unanimous player of the year last year. Won that award, won the Wooden Award, twenty points per game, seven and a half rebounds, uh, right around thirty nine percent from three. The prototypical three and D big guy that you love to see out of a six nine player, six eleven wingspan, can block shots, can throw down massive dunks. I like it, Pat. I th- I think that's a great pick. I, he's a solid floor level player that you know you're gonna get. I think ten to twelve points per game out of down the line at least six seven rebounds, and there's a ceiling there. I think of of maybe a Blake Griffin style player. What do you think about that comparison? I, I think that's a ceiling that that you could put on Obi Toppin. I love that, and I think a team like the Warriors, number two pick, if you don't want to take more of a risk on Wiseman. I think there's a lot of merit in taking a guy who's been in college three years, has that maturity level, will be able mm-hmm. to step into the NBA, I think, and just be way more comfortable in, in his self and in his character. I think we yeah. saw that. We've and seen Dayton that. Like in the Kyle A-10, Kuzma. right? A- A-10 team, right? Dayton yeah, is? Yeah. So yes, you, yes. you know from your fandom of, of Xavier, former A-10, uh, A-10 member, that's a oh, strong yeah. conference. He's played in a lot of big games. He's had big game experience. So whoever drafts Opie Toppin, I think, is going to be getting a solid player. I like that pick, Pat. Piggybacking off of uh, the solid selection for Mr. Fetch, I'm going with Tyrese Halliburton, guard out of Iowa State, sophomore, six foot five, six foot eight wingspan, uh, just a shade over 20 years old, averaged 15 points, ran around six rebounds, six and a half assists, a little bit of a do it all Swiss Army knife type of go to 2020 prototypical guard in the NBA. He can guard ones twos even some of your small forwards here and there makes a lot of winning plays kind of reminds you of a slow down Shea Gilgis Alexander I'd say a little bit a guy that not necessarily has that flow and that scoring acumen around the rim that's something that Tyrese Harbaugh is going to have to really work on is that touch close to the basket 
but he makes a bunch of winning plays. Is great off the dribble, great passing in the lane. And he's just got a really nice basketball IQ. He's someone that's going to come in and immediately, I think, be able to play starter-level minutes and contribute to an NBA team. What do you think, Pat? He's a guy that broke his hands. Did you get any chance to see uh, Tyrese Halliburton at all throughout the uh, college basketball season before he got hurt? Not at all. You're introducing me to Tyrese Halliburton, and I love the name. I'm going to have to look him up, see some highlights. The THB, always in always in control. A little, t- little Tyrese Halliburton. He's always a... Uh, Always got the flow of the game down. He's a guy that uh, I, I I like him in the ten to fifteen range. That's that's probably where he's going to slot in for most teams. But you never know. Some some contender could could fly up from the twenties, trade up, and try to nab a guy who who can slot into a playoff yeah. lineup. I think pretty quickly. And you know, NBA teams absolutely love a little bit of a project point guard that they can that they can roll right into their mediocre lineup. So. Mm-hmm. And he can shoot too. As a guy, sixty-one percent effective field goal percentage. Always want to see that number ticking over the sixty percent Mendoza line. Tyrese Halliburton, my uh, solid, solid floor-level player. Can't miss guy in this draft. Pat selects Obi Toppin. Ain't no stopping Obi Toppin. That's my favorite nickname of any player in this draft. Just it is great. So well, no, ain't no stopping Obi Toppin. Ain't no stopping us rolling the lane number two. It's college football time. The Maction is back, Pat. The Pac-12, yes. Mac, Foley back, midweek Maction. We got all, all of a full taste of it over the past couple days. Wednesday night was fully loaded with Maction. My Ohio Bobcats fall 30-27 to 27 to the Central Michigan Chippewas. Jim McElwain's built a nice program out there. He had them in the, in the Mac title game last year. Bobcats uh, debuting a new quarterback and trying to work out the kinks there. But a fun night, a wild night, a lot of missed kicks, Pat, a lot hey of craziness now. in the back. But uh, it's good to have it back. Don't just, brush, back. don't just brush over my Miami Red Hawks. I, I was going to let you honor. bring up the, the reigning champions of the Mid-American The Conference. reigning MAC champions. As That's right. Don't forget it. It just makes me want to throw up the reigning champions of the American Conference. <laughs> they lost their star quarterback in this game, Blaine Gabbert's little brother, Brett Gabbert. He got hurt. Their backup quarterback, A.J. Meyer, came in, played splendidly. He's an older guy, lost out to the job to Gabbert. That was fun to see. The Edgewood, Kentucky guy. Great game by him. 38-31. It was an electric comeback. He got lit up, too, didn't he? He got popped in the first half, I think, from what I saw. Was that Gabbert? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did. He had to leave the game. Got hit pretty good. The dude got tossed that clocked him on the head. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. It's the maxion. You never know what you're going to get. Never know what you're going to get. A lot of high-scoring games throughout the weeknight. We will be checking in on that throughout the year. Six-game slate. You got to play three games at least to be eligible for the Mid-American title. That would be pretty weird if, like, <laughs> Miami Red Hots get it at 3-0. and That's all they're able to play. But if you're – Wisconsin knows that well. They're dealing with that right now, going through a few weeks with the uh, COVID outbreak. Out there in the Big Ten. Speaking of Power Five conferences, the Pac-12 back this weekend. We have already had a game get postponed or canceled. Excuse me, postponed to November 14th. I believe Washington and California. Uh, that game will not be happening after an outbreak with the Cal Golden Bears team. But number 12 Oregon back in action. That's the primetime game against Stanford at Austin Stadium. Oregon a nine-point favorite, and then we have number 20 USC. Ten and a half point favorites over Arizona State. Those two, Pat, seemingly the only hopes for the Pac-12 to get into the college football playoff. 
and it's going to be a razor thin margin playing only seven games. You're right about that. And I don't have much analysis for you on the Pac-12. Obviously, we haven't been able to see him play yet or anything. But it is going to be very nice just to have that late night Pac-12 football on again. Just to have some of those late starts give you give you a little bit of, uh, you know, that second win, that fourth meal that you need at college football. I'm really looking forward to that. Oregon trying to replace Justin Herbert. We'll see their new quarterback. So a lot of good stuff on deck and another great primetime matchup. The matchup of the weekend in college football, Pat. Notre Dame welcoming in number one ranked Clemson. A top five matchup that we have been waiting for in the ACC. I cannot wait for this one, Pat. So many storylines and I got it. This is this is my biggest accomplishment this week. I had to do it. This is a guy that's going to be in our lives the next 20 years, presumably after he leads the Clemson Tigers to a couple more national titles, he'll go on to NFL success. DJ Uwe Angalale. Boom. Cash <laughs> it, Pat. Cash that. That name is down. I have it down. You got to hit the hard Uwe Angalale. On Angalale. And then you got to get the lalay there. Yeah, you got to get the lalay. You got to roll that tongue. But we got it. He's an electric player. Big old behemoth. Number five, the monster number five, did a great job in his debut. Three touchdowns total, almost 350 yards through the air against Boston College in an 18-point comeback that uh, he just kind of shook off afterwards. Said, yeah, you know, I've come back from from bigger deficits in state title games or whatever. So, you know, it's no big thing. (laughs) And now he gets to take on Notre Dame, a top five matchup on the road in his second ever start in the ACC. Pat, this is a guy that kind of recruited Clemson as opposed to Clemson recruiting him, was a fan of Taj Boyd growing up, really wanted to go there in high school, uh, had uh, Brent, Brent Venables was recruiting one of his teammates at linebacker, sent some of the tape to the quarterback's coach at Clemson. It was all said and done from there. And now we get number four Notre Dame welcoming in DJ Ui Ungalale in the wildest of circumstances in 2020, starting for a COVID out Trevor Lawrence in a monster matchup in the Atlantic Coast Conference. I'll tell you what, Russ, it was very, very funny listening to the announcers try to gargle through DJ. <laughs> uh, one more time for me. Uwe Angolale. Uwe Angolale. Just like that. It was, I mean, it, poor <laughs> announcers are going to have to, we need a nickname for him. We'll just call him DJ. At least I'll just call him DJ on this side. I mean, if Trevor Lawrence was playing this game, you could, I, Clemson should be favored by at least three touchdowns. Notre Dame has given me absolutely no reason to believe that they stand a chance in this game. Maybe with Uwe Angulale, who was a little bit rough in, in to start the last game. He had, he had a, a picks or the, you know, a botched handoff early that led to, you know, a scoop and score of a hundred yards. He let his team fall behind early with a couple of bad mistakes, but he has got a rocket arm. He's still young. And um, I wouldn't be too nervous as I was a Clemson fan with him going to Notre Dame stadium. Notre Dame has not played well in these big games. They've not shown that they can throw the ball very well on offense. So I don't think that Clemson's going to be pressed to have to put up too, too many points, especially with how good their defense is. Notre Dame is probably hoping for a very, very ugly game in this one. Three and eight against top 10 teams under Brian Kelly since 2010. Uh, Two of those top 10 victories came in 2012. So not much success against highly touted opponents. And this is kind of goes to show the big thing that is plaguing college football as a whole. There's a big three right now. It's Alabama, 
Clemson, Ohio State. Those are the only three teams that have shown consistent success and ability to win and lift national championships under the college football playoff format. Notre Dame, this big, vaunted, blue blood national power, they haven't done anything since 1988. It's time for them to show up. This is the biggest game for Brian Kelly in his tenure there. This is bigger than the Alabama national title game. They had no shot to win that game. Nobody gave them a chance, and they didn't have a chance from Jump Street. They got housed. They had no shot when they got beat 30-3 to back in 2018 against Clemson. Nobody gave them a chance back then. But now at home, slight less than a touchdown underdogs against a true freshman making his second start. There's no excuses, Pat. You go out and win this football game if you are at the level that everybody makes you out to be in terms of vaunted historic success from, from Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame athletics, particularly the football team. A lot's on Brian Kelly and, you know, coaches are coaches in college football. I don't even want to really go into that, but Ian book, the three-year starter at Notre Dame for, you know, got starts in the last four years. He was a part of that college football run in 2018, uh, which you just yep. referenced when they got blown out by Clemson. He and also, and also lost to um, Georgia, another top 10 team that you're right. That's right. That's right. And he has been underwhelming that Georgia game. He played well and in the 2018 season. He, he was really promising, had a 68 percent completion percentage. I personally really thought he was going to take off after that year. Um, in 2019, I think he benefited a lot from a weak schedule in relative uh, to the talent that they had at Notre Dame. But he still didn't light the world on fire, even though his numbers did look nice. And he's been underwhelming again, like I just said, this year. And he has to play awesome and go out and help this team win a game. He cannot be a game manager. It's just not going to be enough against Clemson. He needs to play one of his best games. And uh, he's due. He's due for one of his best games. So I'm just going to say it, say it how it is. Special plays are needed from a special player. And Ian Book has to show up and be able to push the ball down the field and show some kind of three-level attack from this offense. This team has really relied on the run game so far this year. They've struggled on offense against much, much less talented opponents other than the Clemson defense, which is going to be a little thin at linebacker this week. James Skalski out. Um, and then another, I think Mike Jones Jr., their, uh, their other starting linebacker, is uh, questionable for this game as well. So uh, there's, there's matchups to take advantage of for Notre Dame. If they can control the pace of this game, not let things get out of hand too quickly, like the Miami Hurricanes uh, allowed a few weeks back in their last top, in the Clemson's last top 10 matchup uh, of the season against Miami, it, it could be very interesting. I do personally think Notre Dame keeps it close. I, I see 34-30 Clemson. Uh, the, the true freshman quarterback makes some plays in the end to, to lift them over the top. Notre Dame's a very solid, well-coached, well-rounded football team. But once again, the athletic difference is going to show between the, the recruiting ability of Clemson and their their ability, Pat, to, you know, they don't even have to go recruit DJ Uyungle. He'll just recruit himself to Clemson and say, <laughs> hey, I want to come to you guys. Why aren't you guys recruiting me? So that's the type of difference we're talking here between a Clemson team that has players reaching out to them and saying, hey, I want to come to your school versus a Notre Dame team that will uh, will block or basically have certain stand has certain standards, albeit just for, justifiably for academic uh, integrity with their, their athletic department. So we shall see what happens, Pat. Notre Dame is two and five 
when the number one team in the nation visits Notre Dame Stadium. But this is from our, our uh, good friend Bill Bender, uh, OU alum at SportingNews.com. The last four games have been instant classics. Notre Dame, the last four times they played a number one team, 31-30 victory back in 88, their last time they won the national title in the Catholics-Convicts game. We went to 30 for 30 on that one. 31-24 upset um, over Florida State in the game of the century, 1993. And they lost 27-24 in a thriller to Nebraska in 2000. And then USC took care of the Fighting Irish, 34-31 in the oh, yeah. old Bush-Push game uh, back in 2005. That was one that of my one earliest. burned as a youngin. Yeah, that was one of my earliest college football memories right there. So hopefully, Pat, we get another classic. And if it ends up 34-30, then seemingly that would make it. it there's there are very few few game flow possibilities where that would not be a classic. So hopefully we get that on Saturday. I I'm here for it. A classic game is as good as I can ask. <clears throat> as, what do you my, got? As, what do you got as a pick? I'm gonna I'm gonna say 34-20 Clemson. Okay, taking the two touchdowns. That's, I respect it. That defense is is still really nasty. Asking and 20 ask points might be too third. might be might be way too many points for Notre Dame. <laughs> I respect it. I respect it. All right. Cruising in the lane number three, keeping the picks, staying chatter rolling. The NFL week nine slate is upon us. Of course, every Tuesday, Pat and I run down each and every game from the slates. We're going to be moving that to Mondays starting uh, this uh, this coming Monday, recapping week nine. But first, we got to get through week nine. And there's a lot of COVID swirling in the league. It seems like the NFL is kind of doing a classic uh, United States of America where we're just pushing through, just powering through, <laughs> getting the games played. And, you know, it's, it's weird how they were willing to postpone games a couple weeks ago and, you know, put the Steelers and the, and the Titans and the Bills and all these other teams in, uh, in a bad scheduling way. But they're not doing that now. So I guess they just completely scrapped that strategy. But, hey, we got football. We're ready to roll. And we got week nine upon us. Three marquee matchups, Pat, that I want to go through with you to uh, to get ready for the upcoming weekend, Ravens versus Colts to get us rolling. Ravens a three-point favorite in this one, coming off of their second loss of the season, their only losses so far to the Steelers and the Chiefs, who have a combined one uh, defeat on the year. This is a battle between a cerebral defense led by Darius Leonard on the Colts versus a athletic Highly touted, explosive rushing attack on the other side in Lamar Jackson. Something's got to give there. And then something's got to give with the efficient, uh, pragmatic attack from the Indianapolis Colts and veteran uh, Philip Rivers matriculating down the field. And a pressure-happy, pressure-drunk blitzing team in the Baltimore Ravens. This is a matchup dream, Pat, that we get at 1 o'clock on Sunday. And you know my opinion on this game, Russ. You already know where I'm going with this. I think the Ravens are going to dominate this game. And I can't wait to see it. And what you just mentioned was the aggressiveness and the blitz happiness that comes from the Ravens defense. I was very nervous about it as a Steelers fan last week. I did not think that the Steelers mid game, their their offense was just not prepared. They were not ready. They didn't have the attitude to match everything that was coming from Baltimore. Um, Luckily they were able to luck out from a lot of mistakes made by Lamar in the offensive side of the Ravens ball. So I think that they're going to have their way with the Colts offense this one. You know my opinions on Phil Rivers. They might change after this week. This would be a huge game for Phil to shut me up. I might have to shut up next week if he's able to, to hold on to this one at home against the Ravens. But I love the matchup 
you said of the athletic, aggressive, mean Ravens defense in this game? Oh, man, Pat. I've been doubting the Ravens all year. I I don't know why I picked them to beat the Steelers last week. That was a weird, uh, weird go back on my gut feeling for me. But I, I, this is a bad spot for Baltimore. They cannot throw the football very well. Lamar Jackson has struggled passing through the air last week, and he barely got over 200 yards, has struggled to get over 200 yards in almost every week this season. They just lost all pro left tackle Ronnie Stanley. Tyree Phillips suffered an ankle injury. He got Marlon Humphrey out as well. This Colts defense is fourth in efficiency. They're one of the best teams in Football Outsiders DVOA uh, on defense. Uh, number four against the pass, five against the run, 3.4 yards per carry. Ravens are going down this weekend against the Indianapolis Colts at home at Lucas Oil Stadium. Phillip Rivers will not make the crucial turnover. Lamar Jackson will against Darius Leonard. That's my prediction. He will prove once and for all he's the best linebacker in all of football, and the Colts will assert dominance in the AFC South. I love Indianapolis this weekend. It's a great spot for them to pull off the upset. Get this, Pat. Teams that have played the Steelers this season against that rough and tumble, dirty, nasty defense, one and four straight up the following week, two and three against the spread. The numbers don't lie. I'm taking the dog this week. Bark, bark, baby. Number two, next game. You got. Uh, what do you think about that? Give me a rebuttal on that, Pat. What do you What do you think? I I don't think you're wrong, and you talk you talked me into taking the under in this game. Truthfully, I don't know if Lamar is going to be able to throw the ball very well against this Colts defense, and wow, I think it's going to be a sloppy. Shook quick Pat, game. people, look at that. <laughs> no, but it's okay. The the Ravens will still prevail because Philip Rivers is not moving the ball on this Baltimore defense. He's Pat, whenever I come up with all those like numbers, and I just like just keep feeding <laughs> something into my uh, into my uh, own bias. It just always flips the other way. So that's what's going to happen. Philip Rivers will will throw the will throw the um, interception to who is it? not Earl Thomas. He's not on the team. Uh, Peters, Mar- Marcus Peters. Yeah, that's who he'll throw it to. Patrick be, Queen. Yeah, Patrick Queen. Yeah, there you go. The other linebacker, the other bonded linebacker on the other side. All right, next game. Let's get to it. So many great matchups this week, Pat. It's going to be an awesome weekend of football. Just went through Ravens-Colts. That's going to have a lot of implications in the AFC playoff race. This is a cross-conference matchup we're getting to now. The Bills welcoming a West Coast opponent in the 6-1 and one Seattle Seahawks and uh, trying to continue a rough past month for Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills offense that's going to have to wake up if they want to keep pace with Russell Wilson in Seattle. And it's a huge game for the Bills. I feel like I've been saying this a lot about a lot of teams around the sort of, you know, five and two, six and two record. But it is true that these games are huge for the long term success of your season. These are the games that define good and great teams and contenders and pretenders. This could be a huge get right game for the Bills. All right. They they've got a little two game winning streak going in in division games. They were very ugly games, both. But two and in the division, you, you can't scuff at that. Now you get to host a very elite team in the Seattle Seahawks. You get to match yourself up against the elite of the elite. And you get to see how your defense is going to match against, you know, a a very possible MVP in Russell Wilson. I think it's a huge game for the Bills to get their confidence moving, for Josh Allen to get right, go head-to-head with Russell Wilson. He could come out victorious. I think this could be a huge, huge momentum builder for the Bills. And, you know, they're on a two-game win streak, but – it does kind of feel like they're on a four-game losing streak in some ways. 
Get right game, Pat. I don't know. You you feeling the upset here? Bills plus two and a half? I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I was kind of lead you up to to say that the Seahawks are going to kill them. And, but I, I, I just think Russell Wilson is too good. I think going across the country is going to be, you know, you're, you're the big logistics guy. Last week you had us with the Rams going into Miami. You have any stats about Seattle going into Buffalo? The thing with the traveling uh, West, West Coast to East Coast is they've started to kind of bake that into the lines now. It's such an over-talked about thing that people and, and bookmakers have started to adjust with that in their own uh, in their own handicapping. So it, it's not as like this in terms of line value this week. I don't think there's like like what I brought up last week with the three different instances all coming together for the Rams being in such a bad spot scheduling wise. There's nothing like that right. this week where it's just a traditional neither team on a off a bye coming one team coming West Coast to East Coast haven't or the um yeah, like the Seahawks aren't going West Coast, East Coast last weekend and then going back West Coast, East Coast again. So there's no, no, no weird travel snafus like that. Should be just a good old-fashioned backyard football game. I, I expect a lot of points in this game, Pat. I think it's going to be Agreed. a very high-scoring matchup. Uh, total open at 51. It's been bet up all the way to 53. Seahawks are first in points per game, 34.3. They are the number one success rate offense, number one, uh, excuse me, number two in offensive efficiency. And then the Bills, if you need a, if like we, we've been talking about Josh Allen coming back down to earth, hovering around 63% completion rate, going that QBR going from high 80s all the way down to low 60s. But like you mentioned, get right is the ap- applicable term for the Seattle Seahawks defense that allows a lot of big plays over the top. We could be seeing a lot of those from DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett for Seattle and then Stephon Diggs and John Brown for Buffalo. Very intriguing game. I I, I want to pick the Bills here, but I just can't do it. I got to think that he that if, if like Russell Wilson's not going to make that crucial mistake. And I think Josh Allen will end up making that uh, crucial, crucial uh, lapse in judgment down the stretch of this one. What do you think, Pat? What's your prediction for this one? What's your what's your uh, what's your score? I love the points, and I do think that Josh Allen's going to have a huge game. I mean, like you said, Seahawks defense can't stop a nosebleed. So I'm going to say 38-35, but Seahawks are victorious because Russell Wilson's going to get the ball last, and he's just going to break some Bills fans' hearts. Yeah, weirdly, the Bills, not great on defense this year. Bottom third in the league, 21st in efficiency, allowing 25 points per game. And then the Seahawks, like we mentioned, scoring about 35 on their own. And they are giving up the most yards allowed total in the NFL this season. And they're 28th in overall defensive efficiency. Expect the points to flow in Buffalo out there in Orchard Park on Sunday afternoon. Speaking of, of points flowing. We have seen a barrage of points, and we could see even more plethora of points from this Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense that is adding a massive weapon, one of the best receivers of the decade in the National Football Game, National Football League between 2010 and 2020. Antonio Brown making his debut after serving his eight-game suspension under the collective bargaining agreement. Woo, Pat. I am really excited to see what this offense looks like. AB apparently living with Tom Brady. He has taken him under his wing, has uh, quote unquote turned his life around, talking to Tony Robbins. They got that all figured out. 
He's ready to suit it up, ready to strap it up. No problems with the helmet. Remember that? That was a real thing last year. No problems with that, apparently. And your Tampa Bay Buccaneers are ready to welcome in the New Orleans Saints after losing to them in week one. They are four and a half point favorites, Pat. And get this, Tom Brady has never been swept by a division opponent at risk wow. of uh, at risk of re- real risk of that happening this year against the New Orleans Saints team that I think is real neck and neck type of contender with Tampa Bay on paper in terms of talent, especially with Michael Thomas, hopefully being put back in the fold this weekend. This is such an odd week for that. We just talked about this dynamic you went through of Antonio Brown making his debut. Mm-hmm. And me as a Steelers fan, I personally have a very complicated relationship with Antonio Brown. Defended him for years and years, loved AB. And then, of course, the crash and burn that's been so publicized. And just for stabbed him to make you in the heart, debut, Pat. Just stabbed you in the heart. And for and now, and now, after all of this weirdness, he's going to come back to the NFL and make his debut in, in such an important game this year for the Tampa Bay Bucks. If, if they lose this game to the Saints, get swept, fall that far behind in the tiebreaker, lose their position at first place in division, like, it could be a catastrophic loss for Tampa Bay and what they hope to do. Such an odd game to debut him. I mean, Michael Thomas is punching his own teammates in the face. He's, it's an odd game for him to come back to as well. So I have no idea what to expect. I think this could be a weirdly sloppy game. I, I, I really, it's just odd. The, the dynamics around this game make it an even stranger game than it should be high pressure game for the season. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel that where there's, it feels like there's, these are completely new teams facing off from what they were week one, where obviously, yeah, the Saints had Michael Thomas, but they haven't had his services since then. And then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, this offense looks completely different in terms of personnel, ability, and Rob Gronkowski kind of turning back the clock a little bit. And then you slot in Antonio Brown for Scotty Miller and and what? Who was – is it Tavion Bryant or whatever, the other receiver on the – I forget. The, beats Pittman. I've, the, the fifth receiver, whoever that is, his snaps are now going to be going to arguably a first ballot Hall of Famer and one of the top five receivers to, uh, to ever play the game. So, whew. Pat, I am just, I'm scared. I'm honestly a little scared. I, I, like I get, I get a little frightened when I think about Tom Brady throwing the ball to Antonio Brown on one side and then Mike Evans on the other side. Uh, Mike Evans, who has been criminally underrated throughout his career and uh, can throw his hat in the ring every single season for that top five uh, elite receiver units. What are you thinking here? What's your prediction? I, I have to go with the Bucks With the drum I've been banging all year, it's the same thing with Phil Rivers. I've been anti-Saints, anti-Drew Brees, so I have to go with the Bucks. But I'll let it be known right now that I don't love it. The whole Antonio Brown dynamic I'm not in love with. I think it could be it could be the, what kills the Bucks from within. I, I have no idea. But that being said, I'll just go 30-24 Bucks. 30-24 Bucks. This is so tough. Since it is at home, I'm taking the Bucks here. 31-28. 31-28, really tight ball game. Comes down to the last couple minutes and maybe uh, some ABTB magic in Tampa Bay. That's, that's what I'm calling here. Sucker bets, Pat. Oh. I will give you the floor. I don't think we're going to have the same one as we, uh, as we both – Great minds think alike. Last week, we uh, just nailed that. Yeah, I, I think Titans minus, I half, think, minus five and a half. 
you were saying it should only count as one and zero for the pod. Well, I, I should we I just count it as two and zero? We each get it. I mean, because of how big of a win it was too. Not only did we get the spread win, the outright win. I mean, it was absolute yes. domination. We called it from the. We called every part of it. All right. Yeah, we'll make that caveat. If it's if we both agree <laughs> on a sucker bet and it's more than three points of an overall line and they actually win the game, then yeah, that's that's a two and zero. All right. So we'll count that. That means I am four and one on the season with my sucker bet pits picks. Pat is three and two. The pot overall, a blazing seven and three, cooking seventy percent on the season. So, just just thank, just have your bookmakers send their complaints to us. Just uh, just have them email the, the Ryan the Three by Three podcast. Pat, go ahead, take the floor. You give us your sucker bet, and I'll close the show with mine. All right, let's do it. Um, I know what you're picking, and I'm not picking that. But my sucker bet, I'm going. With right now, I'm seeing 60% of the money consensus against the spread. People are loving the Minnesota Vikings at home against the Detroit Lions, and I get it. Look, we saw them last week, they went into Lambeau Field, they dominated the Packers. It would they embarrassed the Packers at home. What happened now? They get another division opponent, the Detroit Lions, the lowly Lions, they get to be in their nice, cozy dome. But I'll tell you what, Russ, I just don't like it. One, because I don't trust the Vikings whatsoever. Four points, they, they got that right. They're right at that magic number, over the three points. I really think the Lions are going to keep this game close. The Lions have stayed pesky. Matt Stafford has stayed strong, stayed pesky. I think the Lions probably win this game outright, but they're at least only losing by a field goal. They're covered this spread. People are falling into the sucker. They're letting Vegas you know, eat at them with what happened just last week. I like the Detroit Lions plus four. I'm fading the public there. All right. So Pat's sucker bet this week is the Vikings minus four. I'm going with another minorly short line here. Pretty short line. Ravens minus three. I kind of laid it out with my upset pick outright for the Indianapolis Colts at home. Uh, It's a great spot for the Baltimore Ravens. I love uh, I love the numbers coming off of the Pittsburgh Steelers games this season for their opponents. And then the injuries, you pump all that up with a great defense in Indianapolis. I think this game stays pretty low scoring, stays pretty tight, and uh, and they get it done. They end up, uh, well, not necessarily low scoring, but they keep it pretty tight. They cover the spread, and they get the outright victory. I'm going to go with the Indianapolis Colts. It's going to be a fantastic weekend of NFL football. I cannot wait to see what happens throughout this week. The Baltimore Ravens, tough spot, Pat. Tough spot. We shall see uh, how they handle the the weirdly rough, rough blown chance to take control of their destiny in the AFC. And teams, once again, that play the Steelers this season are 1-4. and four. The following week and two and three against the spread. Hopefully for the sucker bet, uh, sucker bet followers of myself, uh, they get to two and four the season against the spread. For Patrick Fetch, I'm Russ Heltman. Closing out this week's episode of Riding the Three by Three. So many fun sports to get to. We got the Masters coming up next week. We'll be jumping all over that. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, doing some fun Masters action because Pat, Pat and I, Pat, I don't know, dude. Are you, I'm not as tuned into the golf as I used to be. We'll we'll have some. We'll have some fun uh, little mini games we'll see. that or something. Yeah, we'll do something with that. But so many great things to get to. NBA coming back, finalizing a schedule, draft on deck, and then college football 
NFL in the middle of action. We shall see what all plays out over the course of this weekend. Back on Monday, posted, ready for your listening on Tuesday morning with a complete recap of the NFL Week 9 slate. For Pat Fetch, I'm Russ Seltman. Have a great weekend, everybody.